Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. No mere mortal keeps these words perfectly. Let's just start with that. Get that out on the table right away. No mere mortal keeps these teachings of our Lord Jesus that we heard just a moment ago perfectly. And I'll be perfectly honest with you. When I read that, when I hear that, both as an individual Christian and as a pastor, I start to get a little bit uncomfortable, right? I start to writhe around like a, a little boy trying to escape his parents' grip. That's how I start to feel. And I, I look at the other readings. I'm like, maybe we can preach on something different today? What do you think? And I suspect that you probably feel the same way too. Then when we hear what Jesus has to say, you, you start feeling like Indiana Jones trying to dodge all of these different daggers, spears coming at you. You're like, wait a second, Jesus, we need to pluck out our eyeballs. And next thing you know, well, there's another boulder coming and about divorce. And wait a second, what's this? There's also a, a fire to avoid when it comes to you know, uh, uh, retaliation and how we deal with our enemies. And there's all these different things. And nobody escapes these words unscathed. Am I right? Every single one of us. When we hear what Jesus has to say here, can't help but feel like, oh, guilty as charged. And two errors can then result. Two errors, responses that might come from hearing those teachings of Jesus. The first one is that you treat them like a lever to lift yourself up to heaven. You think, okay, Jesus has told me all of the stuff that I need to do, and so I'm just going to double down on duty. I'll do whatever it takes. If I need to become a monk, so be it. And indeed, texts like this have been the inspiration for monks and monasteries through the ages. They think, this is impossible for anybody to keep. I need to just go out into the desert and avoid people. That's my best bet. <laughs> and so some treat it like a lever to lift us up to heaven. And others, though, on the flip side, treat it like a, a sledgehammer to beat you down into hell. That this is Jesus just saying, there's no hope, you've got no chance, just give up. In which case, ironically, you end up not taking the word very seriously either. Because you think, okay, all it's got to say to me is that I'm super guilty. Well, that's true. Both of these things end up bringing us to the same place, which is all we hear is a drumbeat of judgment from Jesus. But what if? What if Jesus intended these words neither as a lever nor as a sledgehammer, but instead as a vision? A vision of the Lord's aim for discipleship. A picture of his perfect purpose for you and for me as his blessed and beloved disciples. Because that's who you are. And don't forget that. When we hear these words, we need to hear them in the context of all the things that we've read and talked about over the last several weeks. That you are his blessed and beloved disciples, whom he has called solely by grace, whom he has equipped and made to be salt and light in the world. What I'd like to do is for us to approach this text and to, to put down all of our tools of self-justification, right? All of the defense mechanisms that pop up when we hear it. Let it go. And listen to the Lord's heartbeat for you through these words. That's how I would have us approach this. Come to this as the Lord's vision, his aim for discipleship. Draw near to hear 
the Father's heartbeat for you. And when we do, what do we hear? What's it sound like? Well, at first, it sounds like the clamor of contrasts. Because Jesus says over and over again, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. And that itself can be kind of a stumbling block because it seems as though Jesus is like contradicting the Old Testament. As though he were telling us, all right, yeah, God used to tell all these things to you, but don't listen to that now. Here's what is really the case. But that's not what's happening. Remember, Jesus is the one who said in just last week's reading that we heard, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. To fulfill it. That being the case, what's he doing with these contrasts? Well, two things. First of all, he is uh, counteracting some of the prevailing interpretations of his day. Some of the ways in which people did try to to writhe out and to deal with those texts. Even um, inventing things that were not in the scriptures. For instance, when Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall love your friend and hate your enemy. You're going to search in vain to find that in the scripture. That's not in the Bible that you shall hate your enemy. So Jesus is countering some of the prevailing interpretations of his day. But he is also revealing the deep, profound intent of the Father's purpose that was all along embedded in the law. He's showing us this is what his true will is for you and me, that it's not merely external stuff, but it goes right down to the heart, to the soul, to the very essence of who we are. Jesus is doing those contrasts in order to clarify and to open for us so that we might see clearly the Father's heart and the Father's will. And what is it? Well, in a word, perfection. Jesus says, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, when we hear perfect, we talked about this in Bible study a couple of weeks ago. When you hear perfect, don't think of this in some kind of narrow, sort of moralistic sense, all right? Like, I'm just trying to be, you know, really moralistic and keeping every law just perfectly. Hear it in a a full, whole-bodied sense that God's intent for you is fullness and completion and flourishing. Those are all paraphrases for the word that he uses. It goes back to that Hebrew term of shalom. What he envisions is full human flourishing for you and me. When he talks about perfection, that's what he's talking about. The fullness of life as God originally designed it to be. That's what he's talking about. You shall be perfect in that sense. And so what does that look like? Well, Jesus uh, breaks that out in just broad strokes. He gives us these six authoritative teachings. Now, understand that this is not kind of case law. Okay? He's not answering every ethical question or quandary. But in broad strokes, he's saying this is what it looks like, this kind of perfection of discipleship. He says that in that kind of perfection, you don't make ground for grudges or leeway for lust. According to the perfect aim of discipleship that the the Father has for you and me, you honor your marriage vows and are true to your word. According to the Father's perfect purpose for discipleship, you surrender security, you renounce retaliation, and you love everyone, especially your enemies. Once again, No mere mortal keeps these words perfectly. 
But let me say to you, Jesus is no mere mortal. He can and he has. And now, in him, you and I, as his blessed and beloved disciples, are able to hear and to receive this word, not merely as a command, although it is that, but also, and much more so, as a promise. Listen to it again. Jesus says, you shall be perfect. You shall. This is his promise that he is making to you and me as his blessed and his beloved disciples. You shall be perfect. You shall be whole. You shall be complete. This indeed is a promise that resonates and resounds throughout the scriptures as God stakes his very life on this. It says in Philippians chapter 1, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to perfection until the day of Christ Jesus. This is not merely a command, y'all. This is a promise, a promise for you and me that now as his blessed and beloved disciples, he will bring it about. So when we hear these words from Jesus, don't listen to it as a pointing finger, but instead as Jesus painting a picture painting a picture of the God's perfect vision for his disciples, for you and for me. This is his aim. This is his purpose and his goal for each and every one of us. And he has pledged to see it through to the very end, to ensure that it happens. It's like if, if all of us are a grand building project. I mean, Paul said in the epistle lesson, you are God's house. You are God's building. God's the builder. He's the foreman of this project. He's the one who has pledged, who has put his name on the dotted line. Indeed, he has written it in blood. He has pledged to make you perfect. But we got to say, sometimes, a lot of time, it's going to be kind of painful. You know, in this respect, I often return to an image that C.S. Lewis uses in his book, Mere Christianity building off of this idea that we are God's house. Lewis says, you are a living house. God has come to dwell inside of you. And when he does, at first you hear him knocking around a little bit and it's okay. You know, he's fixing stuff that you knew needed to be done, some deferred maintenance, right? Just a leaky roof and a, a creaky floor. He's getting rid of those bad habits. Yeah, you've been kicking the dog too much and cursing more than you like. And he's working on that. And you think, yeah, you know what? That needed to be done. But then Lewis says, he doesn't stop. He keeps on going. And it hurts abominably, he says. It hurts abominably. And you think, wait a second. This is not the plans that I had drawn up for myself. And God says, oh, wait a second. I'm the builder. I'm the foreman. And I've got greater plans than you imagine. He's adding a wing here, building a floor on there. He's doing all sorts of remodeling that you didn't care for, that you did not sign up for. But guess what? You are his. You belong to him. He's the builder. Sometimes it's going to be painful. But in all of it, Lewis says, he's making you perfect. Why? Because you're not just some homely little cottage. You are a palace. You are the temple of the living God. And he ain't going to stop till he's got you perfect. Now, I want to just briefly address a misunderstanding that might come here, because some of you might hear this and say, okay, so this is a council of perfectionism, 
And for some of you, you're like, I'm already perfectionist enough, Pastor. My checklist is like this long. I don't need any more added to it. So how is this different, this aim for perfection of the Father? How is that different from perfectionism? Well, see, perfectionism is the anxious need to make yourself perfect so that you'll be acceptable and accepted. That's what perfectionism is. It's this anxious need for me to make myself perfect, and then I'll be lovable, and then I'll be acceptable to God and and perhaps to others. That's not what we're talking about here. God's aim for perfection for you and me, it's his eager desire to make you perfect because, and this is important, because you are already acceptable to him. Because you are already beloved by him. I hope you can see the contrast. Perfectionism focuses on me, what I'm doing in order to make myself acceptable. But the perfection of the Father, his aim and his purpose, it flows from his overflowing heart of love for you and me. That you are already beloved, already claimed by him. And now it's his eager desire to conform you more and more to the likeness of his son Jesus. To make you, in fact, what you already are by faith. Paul says in Philippians 3, Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own already, I press on to make it my own. One last thing, though, about that kind of aim of perfection. You know, perfectionism focuses on me, and it makes it a very solitary pursuit. But the aim of perfection that the Father has for you and me is not a single, solitary, heroic, individualistic endeavor. It's for all of us, as the community of Christ, as the the body of our Lord. In fact, when Paul says that you are God's building, it's in the plural He's not just talking about you individually, but us as a church. A theologian by the name of Stanley Hauerwas says that Jesus' teachings here make necessary the community of Christ, the fellowship of the church. We can't live this out on our own, but instead, as imperfect people, together we are growing into the perfect likeness of our Lord. We need one another to spur each other on to encourage one another, to call call each other uh, to account when need be, but also and even more so to encourage one another and remind us of our belovedness in the Lord. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, to mature, perfect manhood. That is a calling and a summons, not just for you individually, but for all of us as the body of believers. And when you and I live that way, when we as a church are pursuing our Lord, failing constantly, falling all the time, but receiving that forgiveness of our Lord, when we are striving to live lives that are are peaceable and chaste and forgiving and loving, when you and I live that way, we become like a spiritual stethoscope for our neighbors so that they can hear more clearly the heartbeat of the Father. Listen, no mere mortal keeps these words perfectly. But Jesus is no mere mortal. He can, and he has, and you are in him.
which means you are no mere mortal either. You are a habitation, a temple of God's Holy Spirit. You dwell in Christ so that now the Father's heart beats in you and through you and for you when he looks on you. Can you hear it? The Father's heart beats for you. Perfect. 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 Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to confess our faith.